Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please, please be seated. You may want to keep close to you the epistle for today from Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4 because that's kind of the heart and the core and the center of, of our service today. So many of us here in this service grew up as Lutherans. And this is kind of the cry of Lutheranism right here. Lutheranism would say there's not 800 different faiths. We'd say there's just two. There's the one where you work your way to God, and there's the way where God comes down in Christ to you. Two faiths. Now, we nuance that as human beings in different ways with different expressions of this and that, but at the end of the day, when you get down to the end of it, you're either working your way to God on some sort of cosmic treadmill or you receive Christ through faith in His name. Paul had just gotten done preaching to the Galatians. He just got done setting up their congregation. He thought they had them all, all squared away. And then it gets back to him that things are getting a little wonky. And he said, well, if you want to get with everything that God would have for you, then you need to do a little bit more. You need to follow the traditions of the Jewish faith, and then you need to accept Jesus as well. And then we'll heap on more and more stuff that you got to do until you're more like us. So Paul says those very strong words, you foolish Galatians. He said, you're moving from the faith where Christ comes down to the faith where you're working your way back to God. He said, don't be confused. Here's how it works. 21st century America, 21st century Christianity I don't know about you, but I get a belly full of hearing from preachers and reading uh, pieces on the internet. And th th this is what you need to do to make God happy with you. I've been a pastor long enough now that I've seen every book, every article, every piece of philosophy, every new program that comes out. As a matter of fact, I knew that we were getting back to normal as the North American church as I got more and more emails about how to separate you from, you name it, your time, your money, all of those things, right? If you just do this, then you'll be closer to God. St. Paul would say that's slavery and a movement away from the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. So where are you? What are you thinking about? We've kind of been long enough into the fall that you may be thinking, ah, I'm just flat out wore out right here and right now, Pastor. If you give me a list of things I got to do, say 10 of them called the Ten Commandments, I'm going to have a donut and a cup of coffee and we'll see you at Easter. It'll be great. So Paul leads his hearers in that time and in that space back to Christ he leads us back to what it is to, to have a, a faith in, in God coming down to interact in the lives of His people. The idea that we work our way to God, well, that's got three pieces to it. First, it relies on human work. And believe me, you work and work and work and work and work and work and work until you can't work, give, serve, or do anything anymore. You just get burned out on it. 
It's the pastor standing up every week and saying, you think you've done everything to please God? Here's one more thing. You think you've given enough, you need to give a little more. And that is incredibly wearing, especially when that work is attached to God's grace. Do a little more and God will love you a little more deeply. And somehow the transcendent peace that our souls seek is gone in that sort of religion. The second piece of that religion is you never get there. You just don't wake up one morning and get a certificate or a medal or whatever and they say, well, finally you've achieved enough, you've made it on your way. There's always this little gap of what you should have done and what you did. And preachers for millennia since Galatia have leveraged that against people. You know, if you did a little more, you might feel a little less guilty. If you dug a little more deeply, you might atone for your own shortcomings and feel a little better about yourself. But as soon as you do that, the carrot or the stick is put out a little bit farther. You just never quite arrive. And the third piece of that kind of faith is where your heart just gnaws away with guilt and shame. When the difficult times come, when things aren't easy and just straightforward and simple, then the burden of what you believe and the burden of your peace rests on you. And you look into that mirror of God's law and you say, well, I didn't quite do enough, otherwise I might feel better. And so we wear ourselves out doing more, more practices, more appointments, more money, more this, more that, more everything, until finally we realize that more isn't enough. And this religion leads to two things. One, either abject brokenness, that says, I can't even do it, so why bother trying? Or an arrogance that says, I've done it all. I got it all together. I must be pretty good in God's eyes. Paul says, don't, don't kid yourself. It really doesn't work that way. The other religion with Jesus at the core and Jesus at the center has been designed by God to work for His creation and His people whom He loves in a way that is transcendent, in a way that connects us to God, in a way that we can be certain and confident. Paul writes to them, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? If you're tired and worn out, if you have enough of spiritual this and spiritual that, if you've read every book, if you've followed every podcast, if you've done everything and you still say, it doesn't seem to be enough, then this sermon's going to speak to your heart. Because Paul shifts the entire focus of his message in the end of Galatians 3, in the beginning of Galatians 4, where you have your finger on your bulletin. Paul writes these words in Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption into the family of Christ. I'd rather ride a mountain bike than walk on a treadmill. When we travel and there's no way to go and exercise and do your thing and we check into the Hampton Inn to get our Hilton points, 
the treadmill just kills me. I just can't do it. And my Apple Watch screams, you got 7,500 steps, you need 2,500 more to get to 10,000, then you get your 10 points on your, ah, doing more, right? And you get on the treadmill and you're like, Bleh. and you can hit the thing that says, oh, walk in the woods or walk in the beach or walk in the, no, I can't stand doing that. My ADD just fires like crazy. It says, go, go, go. You're not making any progress. You're not sweating. You're not huffing. You're not puffing. Sometimes spiritually on a treadmill, I'm doing and, 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 and making my steps and strides and all of those things, but I just don't seem to be getting anywhere. Yesterday, I got to go out on a mountain bike ride with my son. I like that. Not just because I'm with my son, but because we're outdoors, we're making progress. There's little places that are technical where if I'm half asleep, I'll fall down again. And there's little places where you know where to shift and you know how to break and you know how to put your weight on the back of the bike so you don't go over the handlebars again. But the blessing of that sort of exercise for me is that at the end... All of the dissonance and all the kind of anxiety of life has been left out yesterday in Weir Canyon Loop. You see, the religion of the world is like a treadmill. And you do and do and do and do and it seems like we don't get anywhere. And the religion of Jesus is God's action. God coming down, God doing his thing, God working his way to us. And there's three pieces in this text that I'd like to share with you in the following moments. And the first is what I just said, God works his way to us. That reading from Matthew's gospel, Jesus is the good shepherd, Jesus loses one sheep and he's going after it. The, the reading there, nor the reading in Luke, which is about this as well, does it say, Jesus waited and prayed and pondered and hoped that that sheep would find its way back to the glorious sanctuary of the Son of God. No, in, in, in both of those pieces, both in Luke and Matthew, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes. And maybe that's why in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Christianity rests on this reality. That at the fullness of time and the right moment, when all of history was aligned by God, a virgin named Mary and a descendant of David named Joseph had a baby named Jesus in a place named Bethlehem, and that little Jesus was full of grace and truth. And grace and truth are delivered to us in and through Jesus. Christianity and the heart of Christianity rests on the reality that God comes down to human beings. God worked his way to you. God pursues you. God sent his son Jesus for you. God is not hiding and needing to be found. God is not avoiding you. He's here with you right now by the power of his word, by the faith you hold in your heart. He is with you now, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus loves you, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And this morning we gather together with that hope and promise that we hear God's word, that we receive the Lord's Supper
that we don't somehow have to merit and work our way to God and hope for the best at the end, that at the end we've done three things that just kind of tip the scale in our favor. Rather, Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, God works His way to us. And Paul focused the Galatians on that in the writing of this book. It's the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of what we believe, we teach, and we confess. God works His way to us in Christ. Secondly, when God arrives, He does so with costly grace. We see God through the eyes of Jesus. All the frustration that we have, all the brokenness from the sin, the guilt, the shame, all of those pieces that we look and say, I haven't done enough, Jesus looks and says, let me take those. I'll take those across my chest. I'll put those in my heart. And I'll resolve all of your angst and fear and guilt and sin at the cross. Paul speaks of it here as an inheritance. Far from the religion of the world that says, well, it's karma. You get what you deserve. It's kind of how it works. If you're a good person, you get good things. If you're a bad person, you get bad things. No, 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 no. Paul reminds us that Jesus got what we deserved So God beholds us in grace. It's not a treadmill of spiritual angst. Rather, it's a journey that we're on in our life as our Lord Jesus who pursues us, pursues us to show us peace with God and peace with one another. And maybe that's what's made Christians so resilient. Maybe that's from the time this book landed in Galatia to this very day. Christians have been of the most resilient people in the history of the world because we're dialed into something that's eternal. We look at life through the eyes of grace. We behold God through the mercy shown to us in Jesus Christ. Roman persecution, huge world wars, pandemic, poor government, chaos, anarchy, and no government over two millennia. Christians are gritty and resilient, hopeful, and making a difference in the communities in which they've lived from the heart of Rome to the heart of Germany to the heart of Orange County. Christians live by grace. And thirdly, this little piece that I absolutely love, Paul writes, therefore, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then he goes on to that little list, which is just fabulous there, isn't it? He's got that little piece that says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There is more that we hold in common in Jesus Christ than will ever separate us. The world says, no, no, men on this side, this ethnic people in this room, that room, this room, that room, just stay divided and go against one another. If you got a bigger voting block, you have more power. If you got less of a voting block in this generation, then the other people with power will put it on you. That's not the Christian way. The Christian ways that we are one in Christ. Jesus, Jesus is the great uniter. Rabbis did not have women in their entourage, but Jesus did. When it came time for someone to be singled out to carry the cross, 
It was Simon of Cyrene, a black man who was conscripted into the army of Jesus to carry the most sacred piece of the faith to the hill of Calvary. Jesus bridged racial divide here in, in the book of Acts. The Jews and the, and the Greeks are having problems. Peter and Paul and Barnabas stand up and say, well, here's how it's going to be. And instead of saying, well, you have your church and we'll have ours, they said, we're going we're to work this out together. It was in the pathway of Jesus that they did that. He made unclean things clean. Jesus took a humble posture so that in him humanity could live at peace with one another and that the Christian community would be marked by relationships, connections, a common confession of faith, and service in the communities in which they resided. And that faith, it's not just shown to be the, 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 that it works. The faith is shown to be long-lasting and eternal and identifying and motivating. It's amazing how the one religion of Jesus has superseded the religion of the law time and time and time again. Maybe that's because the focus of the community of the church of Jesus Christ has been relationships that are filled with closeness, that are filled with warmth, and that reflect the same sense of sacrifice as did the one who gave his life for his people. And for you and me, what, what I like about that is that there's peace. There's peace for you and me and Jesus. The good works those flow from our hearts and lives. Our neighbor needs those. God looks and says, well done, good and faithful servant. He doesn't say, well, now I love you a little more. And so there's this calm and peace. It's an opportunity to get off the cosmic treadmill where everyone gets exhausted, ends up at odds with one another. It's a religion on that treadmill where we use people and love things, but not us, not the Galatians, not St. Paul, not St. Peter. Rather, we follow Christ, and we use things appropriately, and we love people deeply, as did the one who came for us. In the name of Jesus.